Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sobriety Core Podcast, a collection of stories from people who happen to be sober. I'm your host, Kim Palumbo. Hi, everyone. Please join me in welcoming Keely Rademacher. You can find Keely at Pink Cloud Project on Instagram, where she connects women in recovery using creativity. Hi, Keely. Hi. I'm so glad that you are joining us. Oh, me too. I've really enjoyed your podcast. It's powerful work you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Keely, who are you? Um, I am Keely. I live in Portland, Oregon. I'm a mama. I have a two and a half year old little boy and a six year old daughter. Um, and I'm an artist and sobriety and mental health advocate. And what brought you to sobriety? I realized that alcohol was taking up too much space in my life. It was um, sucking the life out of me <laughs> and holding me back. Um, creativity part of my life and it was taking a backseat to alcohol because um, I realized every time I tried to create, you know, while drinking, it just went haywire and I just never did it, you know, together. Those two things didn't live together. And so when I realized that alcohol was, yeah, just really squashing my potential um, mm. and it, it felt like dead weight <laughs> or a ball and chain. Mm. And um, I just thought it was my thing. Like I didn't really know how to live without it, even though I was starting to hate it and loathe it. I thought I needed it, <laughs> but the the cons just um, started outweighing the pros. So by the time I got to this point, it was easy for me to quit. I, I remember my last drink um, like it was yesterday and it was actually really similar to yours. <laughs> mm. I remember hearing your story and I had out of body experience planned on it being my last drink. It was just, I had one of those little, they're kind of like juice boxes, right? Like those little wine, like three to four glasses of wine, right. these cardboard things. And, you know, we're in a splash pad because that's real normal to be drinking at a splash yeah. pad, but it was, um, it was Father's Day, it was a holiday and not that I even needed a reason, but right. So <laughs> sure. I, uh, I remember taking that last sip and I looked down at my daughter and it really was an out of body experience. I was like, what am I, what am I doing? Mm. <laughs> like, this is not even fun anymore. Right. And, um, and that was it. And I haven't had a drink since that was June 18th. Um, or that's my first day of sobriety. So I guess that was June 17th, 2018. So 22 months um, yesterday. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole new way of life and it's um, for the best. <laughs> Absolutely. It sure is a whole new way of life. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I can just totally relate to that kind of what am I doing moment. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And you know, it's not like, oh, it was so easy. Like I, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, just one day I just decided to stop. Like I put in the work, sure. you know, for a year before that, just, yeah. just diligently um, chipping away at that beast. And, um, and so I think once, you know, I had kind of turned the corner on that. 
building up my toolkit and making friends in sobriety and, you know, doing all of those things that it, um, it, it really did become an unnecessary thing. So not mm-hmm. so much a crutch. It was more of, yeah, poison, you know, it's just a mind right. shift. It is. It's a it's a huge mind shift, but it's certainly really changing your thinking around it and your story around it is a huge, I think, part of getting over that hump. Yeah. How do you stay sober? You know, I know that nothing good will come from drinking. Like that mm-hmm. is a fact that is cemented into my psyche. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I know that it's a temporary relief and escape that always has larger repercussions because for me, like, because it is temporary, you know, like if you have a drink for me, it was never one, like literally since I was in high school or experimented with drinking, like why would anyone have one drink? You know, same that I totally agree with. Yeah. yeah, That was never my experience at any point. (laughs) Yeah. Like I tried moderating for like 10 years, you know? So, um, I know for a fact that one drink will not be enough and I have this insatiable thirst. And so, Mm -hmm. so it would ultimately lead to drinking too much, which would make me feel awful. And so these are things that I know about myself at this point. So really I do have to like bring in that cognitive aspect of it, you know, where, um, and that's where I, I had to do the work on, finding myself and therapy and, and all of those things where um, I can be in a level headed place to be able to access that part of my brain. Right. Like, whereas before it was just such a knee jerk reaction to just drink because that was like what I knew would bring me immediate joy, you know, or joy right. you know, in quotes. Now I know that this too shall pass. Right. Like mm. when I really have those feelings and it's actually not, of wanting to drink, it's it's other emotions, right? Like who knew we had emotions and all of these different yeah. reasons? It's not just that you're wanting to drink, it's that you're irritated with what's happening or you're tired or you're hungry or all of these other things. So just to be able to know what I'm actually experiencing instead of wanting to drink is pivotal. Sure. When you say you can you talk a little bit about how, what that might look like on a, a daily or weekly basis or, um, you know, how do you sure. care for and nurture your recovery so yeah. that you stay sober? Sure. So um, I know in the beginning, it was really important to not have alcohol in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, my partner doesn't, he's not a drinker. He, he's a smoker. Um, but it was at least easy that you know, we didn't have to have alcohol around and that temptation. And now I'm, I'm rewired completely in a sense of it's, it's just off the table for me. You know, this quarantine has been a completely different set of circumstances for life, right? As sure. We know it. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, all the things are popping up that are triggering for me, um, especially being a stay at home mom, which is not really maybe what I was meant to be doing with my mm-hmm. life. Um, but we are doing that now. And, um, right. <laughs> and so um, I think I, I just really have to take care of myself in a sense of I meditate every single day. I 
take a nap if I need to. If when I put my two and a half year old down for a nap, uh, I go straight to my bedroom and I do a meditation or two. And sometimes I sleep. Um, I'm just so much gentler to myself. I mean, it's like a 180 from how I used to talk to myself and treat myself. And now I'm not at this breaking point by 5 p.m. Because I would always make myself, like I would just torture myself throughout the whole day and I had to earn my drinks, right? Mm, and so, right. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't, I don't get to that point. You know, if I need to take a walk, then I take a walk. If I need to turn on the TV for the kids, like it's not the end of the world. Like I don't need to push myself to these limits that are just, unattainable as a human being, right? <laughs> Just sure. um so I think that in therapy, I still I love my therapist. I think every human being should go to therapy. Um I'm actually starting a grad school program in the fall for art therapy. Oh that's um, wonderful. Yeah I'm so excited. Um so I, I really really do value counseling and I think that that's what saved my life. And so I think that bringing that in, you know, if you need medication, then that's, you know, another avenue. I think there's these, and meetings, these online meetings right now are just literally any time of day. I love um, Refuge Recovery. Well, it used to be Refuge, now it's Recovery Dharma. Right. Has has definitely been my my go-to because it combines the meditation, which is really calming to my nervous system. And I tend to get in my head a lot. And so to be able to be in my body and to just slow Mm. down has done wonders for me. I love that. I, yeah, we're, it's so interesting the way we can be in a meeting right now, almost any time with very little effort (laughs) (laughs) and anywhere in the world. I've participated in meetings and places you know, I would never, or I wouldn't otherwise, haven't otherwise been to a meeting, which is really, really amazing. Yeah, it's true. It's, I mean, really, I can sit on my daughter's bed and pop up the laptop Mm -hmm. and there's a mom group that I'm really um, enjoying right now because I think the staying at home with the kids right now is, if you are a mother, then that's like, the biggest stressor right now for for most mothers sure. that I know. And yeah, so um, same. Just, <laughs> yeah. Um I a lot of my friends in recovery don't have kids. And then a lot of my friends that have kids aren't in recovery. Right. And so to have these worlds overlap yeah. has really been important for me. That's great. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who understands the landscape of of those challenges. Right. Especially right. at this just utterly precarious time. (laughs) What would you say to your drinking self if you could sit down with her? Oh my gosh. I would say I love you. I mean, you are loved. You are worthy. Uh, You are not broken. It will get better. Uh, To go to therapy. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I hadn't gone to therapy in my whole life. And I mean, I had trauma that I needed to work through. And it was the turnaround for me. When I found the value of myself and I found that there was a 
Akili that existed inside of me and I didn't want to squash her anymore. Mm. Like I was on my team for the first time in my life. Yeah. And I became embodied. You know, I think I had just been out of my body for, you know, I turned 40 this year. So I think I had been out of my body for about, um, yeah, 40 years. So Mm -hmm. these, uh, (laughs) these shifts, um, because I mean, my heart, I can, I can be back there immediately to those drinking days to myself. And I was just, um, I was drenched in self-loathing and shame and depression for so long. You know, when you're in the thick of it, you don't really know any better or how to get out of that. Yeah, I would just say that, that you're loved and you're not broken and that it gets better. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> all of those things. I just love all of them. I was on my team for the first time in my life. That is just such a pivotal statement, such a, an important shift, that thought of being embodied for the first time and really being able to ask yourself, what is going on at this moment? For myself has been just an, has been basically what recovery is. Oh, as opposed to being drenched in (laughs) fuzziness most of the time because I'm, you know, living kind of drunk most of the time. And then also underneath the shame and the self, the self-loathing. Oh, sure. You know, I think if we had been embodied or if we had checked into ourselves, it would have been admitting that we had a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like we would have felt the hangover like Mm. more intensely and the sadness, right? Like we actually would have felt where the sadness lives in Mm -hmm. our body and, and then we would have to do something about it. Right. And that's the mirror is a very dangerous (laughs) place to look. (laughs) Exactly. And it's a lot easier to just go to the store and buy another bottle of wine. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Drink it away. That's right. Yes, I'm very grateful that cycle is not taking over my life anymore. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is the relationship between pride and shame in your journey, and has that changed over time? This question is so incredibly powerful. I think we could spend the entire podcast on this question. <laughs> I mean, pride is what kept me drinking for years mm-hmm. and years. You know, I could not be an alcoholic. That word is so filthy in our culture and soaked with stigma and it's very black and white right like you either are and therefore you need to stop drinking and spend the rest of your life in a sad church basement or you aren't and then yay you can keep drinking it was very much a deprivation versus reward situation for me where oh, you're going to take this thing away that I know is a predictable, positive, lifting thing in my life. And at this time, it was pretty much the only thing. And that model is what kept me sick. So despite the clear evidence that I was an alcoholic, I was able to brush it off. I was able to say, oh, that was a slip. You know, like, oh, gosh, I just drank too many that night, Mm. you know. All that mattered was what the outside world thought, right? Like that's what the pride was all about. was like, if I can just keep fooling these people, it was just a game. It wasn't until much later that I realized that 
voices, right? Like these, these people that don't exist, like these people, maybe they were my friends or my family or my, even my husband's friends or whatever, these people that I was trying to prove myself to, they didn't deserve a seat at the table in my psyche Mm -hmm. anymore, you know? Like as soon as I realized that I didn't have to be killing myself in order to like have this facade of pride for the outside world and that just built my shame, right? It just made my shame worse to have this dirty secret. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I, I just stopped being social. Like it wasn't worth monitoring, excuse me, monitoring my drinking around people. Like I wouldn't have to drive. There was just way more reasons to just stay in. I think that's just where, yeah, where the shame like really, really became the worst. And then I discovered the sober movement and the sober curious movement, I should say, and hip sobriety school is now the Tempest. And I just started meeting sober people and started Mm -hmm. respecting people that were in sobriety. And, you know, Instagram now has these like sober superstars, right? These (laughs) influencers that are like just killing it. And so I remember finding Holly Whitaker and being like, what a badass. That is what I want. For me, that that's when things started, started moving around for me. And that's when I started for probably a whole year, the last year of my drinking, I I was not drinking in public. Like Mm -hmm. if I had a social anything, I kind of, I was experimenting, right? Like I was practicing being a human and learning social skills and I wanted to rip off my skin. Like it wasn't easy, but this is also when I learned that I'm actually an introvert and small talk makes my head feel like it's going to explode. Yeah. I was just learning so much about myself and it was, increasing my like pride in a good way you know like absolutely (laughs) this false pride but like it was like an actual confidence you know and and being okay in my skin all of these experiences were lessening my shame and increasing my self-confidence yeah there's just so much to say on this topic right like I'll I'll let let you get in a word (laughs) well no I I just love everything that you're saying and I think one, uh, there's several things that stood out. It, uh, one in particular is this idea that you don't have to give certain people a seat at the table in terms of like judgment on Keely. There are so many people, at least in my own life, that have a seat at the table that don't even know they have a seat at the table. Like <laughs> they have no idea that I am spending a you know level of of energy that is so it's just kind of ridiculous you know in terms of who is part of the calculation that has no clue that they are in the equation i mean they just don't know and then when you ex- start to expose some of that to someone i find i have found most of the time i am met with just understanding and care and also just compassion, some permission to release some of those people from, from the table and really start to 
to listen to your own voice. I, when I hear someone else talk about who has a seat at the table and how many seats are at the, you know, there's actually 25 seats at my table on like this council of judgment for Kim. And there really only needs to be one, you know, maybe two or three people who, who have such a impact in my own life because they're a part of my immediate family unit. And those are the people that need to be a part of that, not the, you know, my, my husband's friends, you know, who have no clue that I include them (laughs) and would say, please release me from that. I do not want to be on that, at that table. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Yeah. And I, I love this, that you, the shift of pride for you. It's, I find it so interesting that pride often keeps us from recovery. So does shame. Both of these things keep us from recovery. And both of them have such different roles once we are in recovery. One of them is kind of shifting the connotation of pride as something that kind of pulls away our power and, and, the, and then while we're drinking. And then in recovery, pride is kind of what helps us stand up a little taller when, when we haven't stood all the way up in a long time. I think with, with the sobriety movement, you know, all this positivity and and empowerment, I got lost in that world too, you know, in that first Mm. year where I'm like, you know, the pink cloud, you know, I'm just like, like, this is great. Everyone needs to know about sobriety, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then, you know, you forget about, oh, there are people that are they're drinking that haven't gotten this memo. <laughs> like, right. And they, you know, you're having a conversation with them and they're thinking of that old school model that I used to think of, you know, where I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm in recovery. I'm sober. And I'm so excited about this. And they're like, Oh my gosh, like what happened to you? You know, right. or what? And I'm like, no, I've, I've released the shame. Like I, Yep, I was there. Those are my experiences that helped build me into a beautiful, confident woman. Like, I can talk about all these things. Like, let's do it. And you can see, you know, the, the war sometimes that's going on in people's heads, you know, as you're, but I think these conversations are really powerful, you know, just teaching and educating people about what gray area drinking can do and lead mm-hmm. to and mm-hmm. um and just really gradually grind away at a human being yeah and just showing up as you are i mean we we're all you know it's cliche but it's it's cliche because it's true <laughs> um in that we're all showing up with something you know certain things carry social stigmas that others don't but we're all kind of just showing up with kind of a mess of humanity yeah you know the in our critic Julia Cameron was probably my first therapist in that <laughs> she's I don't know if you're familiar with her or the artist not, way. Oh right. Yes, yes. Not not very familiar, but but I do know that book. Yeah, she's um she's a very powerful human and um she taught me about this inner critic and these voices, the censor you know, in a, when you're creating art, right, you're inevitably going to have these same voices. And I could translate that into my recovery um, in the same way. And 
that's why I think that, you know, creativity and recovery really, really go hand in hand. She has so many exercises in her book, like for these critics. And also in that same vein, you know, like you were saying, you know, you have, there should actually only be one or two or three, you know, people at, at the seat of the table. And then she has exercises for, you know, helping you choose these positive voices. If you have these voices that are inside of you that have unconditional love for you, it's going to shift your, your life dramatically. And if you have the, you know, if you're lucky enough to have these people in your life, it's just so, so important. Yeah. And you, you know, sometimes I think like you just might end up believing it if you (laughs) have that voice inside, but you, you certainly won't know, continue to talk to yourself in a way that is just annihilating of who you are. Right. Right. What is one question that you wish I or or someone else would ask you about yourself or your sobriety? I feel like I am very open about my recovery. And I'm pretty easy to talk to. I think people pretty much ask me anything that they want to. Yeah, maybe how, like specifically how how art making helped me on my journey because it did. It was absolutely huge. I have journals stacked of collages, of paintings, of writing, of everything under the sun, of these experiences, you know, of how I was honestly feeling. Like it was a place where I could let it all out and nobody had to see it. You know, like I could actually be truthful. That's been a common theme in my whole life where you're not allowed to talk about these feelings, right? Like that's what Mm -hmm. happened to me in middle and high school. You know, we just have to squash it down. Creating art and my art journals started really early, probably, you know, sixth or seventh grade where I could honestly write poetry and draw and paint these very, very difficult things were happening in my life. To go back and see those, like when you're in a right place of mind and you go back and you see those, it breaks your heart. For me, I was seeing these journals accruing imagery. It was right before you, you know, like this very tangible thing that you can look at and be like, that person is suffering deeply. If you can art journal for yourself, and this is for people that anybody, but if you're having a hard time with alcohol, or I think just to be honest with yourself, you know, we can, um, I think that that was, that was such a huge part of my recovery process that, um, yeah, that's something that I would like to talk more about with, with people that anybody has any questions. Yeah, hit me up on Instagram or (laughs) send me a message. I love that. I also think there's just this deep need for us to create something novel, right? And it and when I say novel, like it doesn't need to change the. I'm not. It doesn't need to be this giant thing. But when you have a blank piece of paper and then you take a pen and you fill it up you create something that did not exist before. And that in and of itself is just this, I think, deep need that often gets squashed on some level when you are in active addiction. 
And the other side of that coin is that sometimes we think we won't get to be creative when we're sober or in recovery. And I have, I find that to be just the exact opposite experience than what I fear. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. That is one thing that actually people do ask me because I think that is a process for a lot of, I mean, even Julia Cameron, you know, talks about that, how she was used to having that drink to get her, her writing flowing and that works until it doesn't work. You know, that. It's a very (laughs) good point. Yeah. That might've worked when I was 20. (laughs) Right. um, Art making is such a spiritual process for me that if I had any sort of mind altering substance within me, like it just squashed that connection. Yeah. Couldn't, I couldn't have that flow. Like I would just get derailed on some sort of who knows what (laughs) train. Mm -hmm. And I know that some creatives, you know, do use or drink right now. And that might be, you know, part of it. But I think that anybody that's actually honest with themselves can say that you actually don't create your greatest work if you are under the influence of something. Especially at a time, in a way that is addictive. Right, right, right. Exactly. I should rephrase that because I know people that do in moderation or small amounts that, yeah, that do not have a substance use disorder. Um, that's, these are not the people that I'm talking to. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. I should make that very it's clear. Fine. They're also probably <laughs> not the people who are listening to this podcast, so it's yeah, fine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Keely, I have enjoyed so much of the, just this entire interview and so many things that you've said are just I've like my journal is going to be full of things that you've said when I listen to this episode. (sighs) Thank you so much for taking the time. And I also just wish you and your family well at this very precarious moment that we are in. You too. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Kim. As always, I want to interview you. Drop a line at SobrietyCore on Instagram or visit www.sobrietycore.com to tell your story. That's www.sobrietycorps.com. Look for our next episode in about a week where we get to hear from a human behind an Instagram handle. Until then, be well.